0: Welcome to a new episode of the Life Science Get Together podcast. Today, in these episodes, I have the pleasure and the honor to speak with Caroline Heil from Berlin, Germany. Caroline, welcome to the show.
1: Hi, thank you so much, Christian. It's very nice to be here today.
0: Good to have you here. The topic I'm interested in. Um, Okay, It's a topic that I'm doing research and a lot of reading and studying on my own for decades now. And I forgot a little bit about it in the last years. Uh, so from 2010, 15, 16, 17, it was not so important, but it came back last year. And I think for obvious reasons, um, it's the topic uh food and what is healthy food and what is nutrition. And when I think back uh, to the 90s, when I started my personal research, um, the world looked to me pretty simple. So basically we had what we were eating every day and the food inventions on the countryside um, was I think I saw the first McDonald's in my life somewhere in the early 90s. So this was the kind of invention we had. And when I started researching what uh, effect food has on health, I came across topics like uh, vegetarian lifestyle or vegan lifestyle, and that was basically it. Um, In the last couple of years, especially since uh, last year, March, (laughs) not the last couple of years, in the last year, um, I used Google to do a little bit of research to see what has evolved in the food industry. Um, What about uh, healthy nutrition? What about vegan lifestyle and vegetarian lifestyle? And. I was a little bit overwhelmed. So when I started reading, uh, I got, I think, 100, 200 different novel terms that were coming in, and uh, I am a little bit confused about what's really going on in the food industry. So that's why I thought it's interesting to talk to you. Uh, I saw in your profile that your company is called the New Meat Company and is investing and Uh, starting and running companies who are positioned exactly in that field that I find confusing currently. Uh, Karolina, can you give me a little bit of background to your company if you understood it right in the description?
1: Yeah, sure. Um, I try to. So you are 100% right. The whole topic, food, health, food as medicine, alternative proteins, it is just so much information and it's very, very difficult um, to look through it and to find uh, good information that is uh, believable, that makes sense. So it's a very complicated topic topic, and it needs sometimes to uh, yeah, to understand it. So what are we doing with the new meat company? Uh, we are a so-called platform company. Uh, it's an approach that is not so much known in Europe, more more in the US. Uh, what we try to do is to build up a really sustainable, uh, long-term focus kind of industry holding in the field of alternative proteins. So our approach is to really rethink animal production, to rethink um, animal proteins. And we do this, um, or two, two topics are driving us uh, wh- why we want to focus on, on this market. So the one thing is clearly, uh, and it, we haven't talked about that yet, it's the environmental impact that, uh, currently, animal production is having also the questions of animal welfare, mm-hmm. uh, approximately 10 billion animals that are slaughtered, slaughtered a year and all this stuff. But um, we also look at it from a health uh, perspective. So one of the um, big global megatrends we see is called uh, food is medicine, health reimagined, um, and animal proteins are very closely linked um, to, uh, yeah, to health. And um, there's so much exciting stuff going on in the field, like, uh, research on the link between um, cancer like colon cancer and red meat uh, there's an institute in France it's called INRE that is uh, heavily uh, looking into how you can uh, supplement certain uh little vitamins to to reduce uh, the negative impact of animal protein to uh, yeah, put antioxidants into, into what we eat um, but we are more. Or, well, we we are we believe that um, the best solution to be healthier is to drastically reduce the intake of animal proteins.
0: Absolutely, that uh, uh, oh, that is absolutely. Clear. <laughs> let's stay a little bit. Uh, what you said in the beginning: environmental impact of uh, our food. What is the situation of the food industry and its, uh, let's say, it's environmental footprint? Can you give us a little bit more detail on that?
1: Yeah, sure. So um, at the moment when we um, look at the food industry globally, um agriculture has quite a big influence on, uh, on on climate change on carbon emission um especially um the animal production uh, space so globally and we have to look at it globally because we are one big planet and it's one closed system um globally um animal production contributes to around like 20% um, of the carbon emission and uh, it, it is also linked to, to many other uh, negative impacts on our surrounding, on our climate. So if you want to um, want to feed all the animals we need for our current production, you need loads of land. So it's very, very intense in land use. It's, um, yeah, it, it's for high intense agriculture use um, that has negative impacts on biodiversity and like. The, the loss of biodiversity is one of the biggest threats for, for our society. It's very much linked to zoonotic diseases. We've just been there with corona, with COVID-19. Um, also, animal production is very high in water use. And uh, we are very much aware that that our society, or our planet, is very close to certain tipping points. And, and water resources are one so it, it, Uh, the um, decreasing water resources we see loss of biodiversity carbon emission climate change Uh, it is a very very um, long list and um, so I believe and I maybe I'm going to tell you more about my background later but um, uh, for the last years I had a strong focus on agriculture and I'm a huge fan of all uh, regenerative agriculture um, systems where you like also store carbon uh, in the soil. And uh, most of them, they need animals somehow involved in in the whole uh, production process. Uh, So I'm not per se against animal production, but the way we do it at the moment and this high amount, it's it's just very bad for our planet. And actually we cannot afford uh, a behavior like that. And it's also like um, world population, is still growing, we're going to have 10 billion people in 2050, or approximately 10 billion people. Their assumptions that we're going to need like 30 percent more proteins, um, the meat demand will grow around like 30 percent. And we have to trust you, really rethink what we're doing to, um, yeah, keep our earth, earth healthy and have a nice place to live on.
0: That's true. So, there is a huge problem that we are already in the middle of uh, currently and it's not something that happens in 100 years uh, or in in 200 years so it's currently ongoing that's the the way we produce our food is not sustainable did i get that right
1: yes very right but it's also so i'm um, i'm a very so i kind of like when i think about the situation sometimes i get a little uh yeah a little kind of like alarm feeling Alarm feeling, but I'm also like a very, very, uh, a positive character, and I think we are, we we still have the capacity to solve many of the problems. Um, like uh, for me, one of the best examples is the ozone hole. So it was discovered in the early 1980s, in hmm. 1985, and um, so like uh, the 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 whole society, the, the of the states, came up with the Montreal Agreement um and banned cert, certain chemical substances and now like uh, nearly 35 years later we know that that we kind of like surf, solved this problem the ozone hole is going to be closed in like 70 or 80 years or 100 whatever but we kind of like we saw the problem we acted very very fast what we kind of like not doing when it comes to climate change at the moment but but still we see that that are certain uh yeah that we haven't reached the tipping point and that we still
0: can do something good and, and yeah, be change. I agree with that. That's the right spirit. When you see a problem, uh, you think about how can you solve it yeah. rather than complaining about it and just being stuck in uh, doing nothing, basically. Uh, I, I wonder, you said a little bit, uh, you explain your background later, but let's jump on it uh, <laughs> on that topic right now. I'm curious, uh, you're a smart lady. You have a lot of uh, entrepreneurship uh, spirit from uh, already from the... <laughs> opening 10 minutes uh, <laughs> since we are talking uh, what brought you into the space uh, what why did you decide to uh, to move into a platform company that is doing uh, research and work uh, around the topic of the environmental impact on uh, in our food uh, value chain
1: yeah um so um kind of like my interest in food and agriculture um That's basically very much linked to my family. So my grandparents on both sides were in agriculture. I I were lucky enough to grow up at my my grandparents' farm. Um, Yeah, so um, I was always uh, very close, close to the agricultural sector. My father is a veterinarian with a focus on food security. So I always saw a lot in that field. And after school, I decided to study law to go to law school. So very different, uh different field. Um And after law school, I kind of like sneak a little bit into the corporate law world and worked for, for the big law firm, uh fresh fields um with focus on M&A. And after one year, I was like, yeah, it's kind of like M&A. It's cool, it's a cool surrounding, cool and smart people. But somehow I don't see the impact or the positive Social impact that might maybe sound weird when you study law and want to go into the corporate world, so the positive social impact, but I was looking for a little more. And I decided that I really love agriculture, that I love nature, um, that I love the food industry, not the food sector, I love to eat, I love the whole field. And I was thinking about how can I, how can I work in that field. Um, and, um, I kind of couldn't find a solution though. The first thing I did, I was, uh, I went to Namibia for two months. Mm -hmm. I worked on a cattle farm, uh, stayed there and did some thinking about it. Then I decided that I, uh, I want to be, or I, I could be a lawyer for agriculture and food. And so I worked in that field for around three years. And uh, after that time, which was where I learned a lot about agriculture, about the food sector, uh, I decided that I want to look at it from a different angle and uh, started working for Ernst Young. And I was very lucky because soon after I started there, I became part of the global agribusiness and food team. And, uh, yeah, had the chance to even look deeper into uh, food tech, into regenerative agriculture, carbon farming, alternative proteins, uh, more from a consulting um, perspective. Uh, And at some point, I I was just super convinced from the alternative uh, protein field and the positive impact that that lays behind, because what you just said, I, I, I totally agree. So I think it's very important that when we see a problem, we we find solutions and we find a way how to act and and not like um somehow hide find be active find a solution there is no problem that we can't solve and I really want to be part of of, of that idea and at some point uh, friends asked me if I want to be part of the new meat company and if I can imagine to yeah be the CEO of the company lead the mission uh, find the platform companies so we want to invest. Into sharpen the vision and the mission, and I was like, "Yeah, that sounds great." That uh, the opportunity I'm looking for, and it's also a way like to move, yeah, away from just like complaining that there's so much going on, but uh, providing solutions and also help the people to find um, alternatives to 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 change. And and food, I I, I always say, food and changing the way how you eat is the easiest way to just have a very a Positive impact on on the environment. It's, it's the easiest, and you can start it every day. And um, yes, I, I'm very glad that, that I, I
0: agree. I agree to everything you said. You have the right skill set to do that. So on one hand, you bring your legal expertise into that area, and on the other hand, you also have a lot of uh, diverse technical expertise uh, uh, since you were a young child. So um, and enough energy to to make an impact. Um, let's look a little bit on uh, what's going on in the food industry. So from the perspective of your company, you said that uh, you want to define the way we think about meat in a new way. What possibilities are there currently on the market to... Uh, look at meat differently than the traditional way that I know. You go to McDonald's, buy a burger. Uh, it's one way, and the other way is uh, you get a steak, buy it in a grocery store, and cook it on your oven. But uh, new inventions are out there in the meat sector.
1: Yeah, um, oh, there's so much. <laughs> That's a huge <laughs> Um So, um, like, w- what we've been seeing for the last year, basically with Beyond Burger, who a company from the US. I, I assume everyone mm-hmm. knows, and this big IPO um, was one of the first companies who, or was the first company who brought a meat alternative, a burger, um, uh, to the market. That is one of the things we've been seeing for some years now. But actually, for the last one or two years, we, we really saw so many new players getting but on does, the
0: market. Does that really work? I mean, uh, sorry beyond meat case. I think the IPO was in 2019 or something like that. Yeah, and. Uh, I think after two or three months after the IPO, the price went up five or four, five X and then collapsed right after. So it was this peak up and down. And since then it's going sideways. What I always wondered is, is there really a market there? I mean, uh, do people buy these products?
1: Yes, there is a real market. So maybe not everyone is buying the Beyond Meat product, but there are so many. So at the moment we have over 500 players in the field of Meat Mm analogs. So, um, that, that what, what is are,
0: huge. sorry to interrupt you. What are meat analogs?
1: Meat analogs is term. <laughs> yeah. Meat analogs are basically um uh, products that mm-hmm. kind of like try to mimic um uh, yeah, uh, conventional meat. So they are somehow a protein source but, but a plant-based uh, protein source. Mm-hmm. Uh like um so at the beginning many companies focused on soy, but soy due to different reasons uh, reasons got very very expensive on the global uh market uh and it's also like somehow very yeah very closely linked to not the best environmental benefits not not every soy source but when it comes to uh, rainforest destroying the rainforest so there's some critical voice when it comes to soy but soy could be one source for proteins, mm-hmm. sunflowers, uh rap seeds, uh peas is it's a big new thing. So basically the meat analogues um they are based on a on a um, plant-based protein, uh, textured, um, and they should be like from the nutrition side, they are very close towards the meat. So they're high in protein. Um, it changed a little bit all the last time. They're normally kind of like try to have the same amount of fat, uh, their vitamins and, and everything. So they just like to mimic, um, mimic meat and this market just is, it's been growing a lot uh, over the last uh, two years and also the investment landscape. Um, so, uh, in 2020 alone, uh, 3.5 billion euro uh, were invested into this certain area. So, it's huge, huge, and only uh, Impossible Burger in, in the last uh, months of 2020 managed to secure a funding of 500 million. So, that's that's quite. That is kind of like showing how how big uh, or how much potential the market has. That's
0: and we oh, sorry. Sorry to interrupt you. It's very interesting, but uh, at one point when I first saw Beyond Meat, and uh, as you said, right after Impossible Burger was on the market, um, I think the ingredients are, are not so new. Just think back to the 90s when uh, I did my martial arts and. Uh, I got aware of this macrobiotic nutrition trend, uh, which basically was not a trend back then. It uh, originated somewhere in the 60s, 70s by Michio Kushi. And he promoted, uh, to basically rely mostly on, uh, vegetables, uh, get your nutrients oh, from no, vegetables no. only. And I think in the highest level, he just, uh, Wants people to uh, live off uh, one bowl of rice every day or something like that, oh. and <laughs> and uh, when I look at uh, Beyond Meat and the Impossible Burger, as far as I understand the story, um, they are building on that uh, trend. So they are basically uh, building their burger or their meat uh, from plants. But what they always wondered is: Is this really more sustainable than meat? Because I think there is a lot of technology behind uh, Impossible Burger and Beyond Meat to produce, uh, to make plants look and taste like meat, which originally they don't do. And uh, is this really more sustainable? Did you did you get any studies on that? If that uh, has really a positive
1: impact? Yeah. So it, it's kind of like the answer is very easy. It's yes. Because it's very very easy to be more sustainable and have a lower environmental impact than the meat production currently is having. That that is explained easily. So um, the numbers vary from what, whatever source you get them from. But when you look at your steak, like you have one kilo of steak, um, so so two pounds of steak, um, the estimates are that you need approx like between yeah twenty five and forty kilograms of uh, feeding stuff to have like this one kilo of steak, um, then the amount of water also, the numbers of kind of like deferring a lot, but it's kind of like two or three bath tubes uh, up to several thousand liters of water uh, you need for, uh, for the meat production. Then uh, the carbon emission is also, I don't have a number at, at hand at the moment, but also the carbon emission is high. And mm-hmm. only that you take um, the feeding stuff, which normally is like green, queen, uh, queen feather, um, you kind of like, you must imagine it like, like you take the feeding stuff and turn it directly, uh, into a product. So it's kind of like, um, yeah, that you just like use this rare source, turn it into a product for me, that makes it alone, makes it more sustainable because the impact is just, just, um, much lower and, and you don't have all like the greenhouse gases especially when it comes to beef or the methane that is produced. That's kind of like very, very bad uh, for, for when it comes to climate change. So um, yeah, it, it is, uh, for me, it's definitely much more sustainable. Um, the question is, what, what, I think that's the direction you want to go to. So um, the meat analogues, uh, what people are claiming is that um, it falls under the, the area of highly processed food. Mm-hmm. And that's something that's... T- sometimes it's seen kind of critical because people say so if you have a grass fat beef uh steak it is very very lean protein it's not processed um well that is true but uh, also when you look at the, the production processes for the for the meat analog so you yeah, kind of like the protein source you put it in into an extrusion uh technology and then you get like get a protein source out with, with a certain structure so that one one of the steps in the production and um, it depends on the company and who producing who is producing uh the meat analog and uh, what kind of um uh, substances are put into it and how, how highly processed there are so there are many players on the market now that are organic um so it's it's kind of like yeah for me i, I think it's Media sometimes a little too critical, but my very personal, um,
0: personal view. Um, we can we can have a lot of uh, philosophic, philosophical discussions uh, about the good and evil of uh, processed food. So yeah. there <laughs> are uh, several opinions on the market. Um, the ones I I, I heard uh, back in the eighties nineties was uh, when you eat eat mostly food that is not processed, uh, it's better yeah. for the. For, for your body than high processed food, but uh, it changes over time. I think also it's, it always depends on what industry and uh, what ingredients are used. So yeah, it's a,
1: when, yeah. And also when you look at like, if you have a chicken McNugget that all was made from a chicken and you have a chicken McNugget that was made perhaps out of like uh, a pea protein. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of like if you compare the two, for me, definitely, the the plant based one is so much better. They're both highly processed, though. At least take take the better uh, the better version. And I think that's that's also a field. Uh, and you just mentioned it: the whole um, how is diet and health connected. There's so much re- research going on in the field. There are so many sources. Uh, where you can look at it. And and one, actually one of my favorite scientists in the field is uh, Professor Colin Campbell mm. uh, from Cornell University in the U.S. And he's been working in the field of nutrition and health for over 60 years. Uh, and I really love his story because he was born and grew up on a dairy farm and actually did his PhD study on the benefits of uh, animal proteins on on human health. And in his 60 years, he discovered that he was kind of like totally wrong with 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 his first uh, few of few of things and he's the one he wrote whole he wrote a china study um he's he's one who's um yeah kind of like promoting a plant-based whole food diet as the healthiest one uh you can find and it's kind of like minimizing your risk of heart disease kind of like that's very critical discussed kind of like bringing down your risk of, of, of certain cancer forms of cancers it's good for your skin it's good for your for your longevity and I think that's one thing we we all know when we look at certain areas in China and India and, and Japan that, that food is very much linked to also aging and, and being healthy for a very long time so
0: and I, I agree with that. What you say, uh, there is a lot of more research needed in the area of food and the effect on health. Um, I, I think it's getting it's getting better. So you, so you mentioned that professor. I came across William Lin in a podcast recently. He's also a professor in the United States who is doing research uh, on the health effect of certain types of foods. And he his famous TEDx speech. I think it was from 2010. Had the title "Can We Starve Cancer." So it's quite an interesting approach, but I think there is much more research needed. And it's one of the, uh, one of the five skills that I think is uh, important for every person on that planet. It's like financial literacy or nutrition to understand, uh, at least to have the information what's going on in your body and, uh, what effect had, has what kind of food on your health on the long run? I think we also saw during the Corona crisis that um, good nutrition and exercise helps to promote the health immune system.
1: Definitely. So, and I'm not a nutritionist, I'm not a medical doctor. Um, so I'm, I'm kind of like, I just have the knowledge from all the stuff I've been reading for um, for the last years, but I think we have a common ground now that food is very, very much linked uh, to health uh, and that many of the of the, um, the diseases we see in our uh, current society uh, that are linked to uh, obesity, uh, diabetes type two is definitely uh, caused by the wrong uh, nutrition. Also, most of the heart and uh, yeah, heart disease and everything. And there are certain estimates that say that we can save up to 90 percent of the costs of our health system when the people would change um. Their diet, And at least when you listen to Colin Campbell um, or when you also listen to the FDA or the German, um, uh, how do you say it, um, the, the German Association for Nutrition, they all are very clear about the information or about, about the advice they give. It says you can have animal protein, you can have meat, but reduce it to a minimum of two days per week. And also, like, there's so much going on in the media with, like, we need more or people telling we need more protein. But I think also science is very clear about that we uh, need around 10 or 20 percent of our of the food of our food intake should be um, uh, protein, the protein source. So, um, yeah, I think we have we have uh, we have some common ground. And to come back to my topic, we are kind of like all agree that the meat consumption must be reduced a lot. Yes, the, I would
0: like to come back to that. <laughs> I, th- I think the, the lifestyle changed a lot in the last three or four decades. I was uh, remembering the, uh, the preparation, the days when I was a young boy. And uh, I hope it's not made up. It's just a memory like it is right now in my mind. Uh, but meat was not... Uh, uh, the basis of the, the daily nutrition it basically was homegrown vegetables, a uh, little bit of bread uh, during the weekend on the weekend it was meat, but I think one or two servings only and not uh five six seven eight servings. When I look today uh at the world, I think we have an abundance of food here in uh in Europe, and yeah. I think it's also true for Canada and uh, the United States, Japan, and also for parts of china uh whereas on the other hand uh when I look uh, on uh, on regions like Africa, uh, certain regions of Asia, it looks like that uh, they definitely don't have an abundance of food. They're on the other on the other side. Uh, do you see any possibility with novel technology that? Uh, that's on the market or that's coming to the market like artificial intelligence, blockchain technology, also to have an impact on the reorganization of the supply chain globally so that we can balance out that imbalance of availability of food.
1: Stay with us. We'll be right back.
0: You love listening to podcasts, but have you ever thought about starting your own podcast? Maybe you want to build a brand, grow your business, or are looking for an excuse to talk about your favorite hobby.
1: Yeah, I I strongly believe um, that um, the new technologies and also uh, the data we have, machine learning, uh, artificial intelligence, can have a very positive impact. So, um, would you say such a set is 100% right? So, when we look at the US, when we look at Europe, uh, we have approximately four times the amount of food that we actually need and that we actually use. So, there's lots of food waste. So, when we think of it, it might be like we're like okay there are certain areas where we have enough food or too much food can't we just distribute it to like the poorer areas that's difficult so I think that is not how it works so you cannot ship your salad to uh, to to another country because you think we have enough enough of it I think for me the solution is to um, to support uh, certain areas in their agriculture technology so um, kind of like help um, help to Um, yeah make agriculture uh, more sustainable more sufficient um, more resilient Uh, and there's technology doing uh, a very very uh, good job at the moment so um, I really love one project I think it's from from Oxford University they come came up with some uh, sensor technology It's, it's called chameleon and it's a little device that is like the size of a hand and they distribute it in some uh, African countries where there's a, a water uh, resource problem, a huge water problem. And with this chameleon sensor, technically you can you can uh, find out how moisturized your, your ground is and really see when you need to apply water. And that is kind of like uh, solving many conflicts over water that, that, um, that, that the people were having because they were like, okay, I, I have the certain right to have that much water and I'm going to bring it out on my fields if they need it or not. And now the people have like the technology at hand, the center to find out if they really have to put water on the field, how the moisture is at the moment and that uh, increase the profitability and, and, and the amount of food they could harvest uh, a lot. And, and there's so much going on uh, in that field. Also uh, going back to old, old agricultural techniques like regenerative agriculture, Till free, uh, till free, till free agriculture, uh, promoting soil health, using um, biochar to promote soil health. So there's so much uh, going on with new technology, with sensor technology, uh, going back to old practices, good agriculture practices um, yeah, I think I, I almost agree to
0: everything you say, but I partially disagree. I think. Uh, uh, oh, okay, uh, <laughs> that's good.
1: <laughs> More <laughs> fun
0: when people are uh, agreeing. <laughs> partially, uh, I think also until mid 90s, the general uh, assumption was that a lot of problems are not solvable because uh, there are sort of conundrum. For example, one was in business: uh, you cannot deliver high quality at low prices. So you can either decide for high quality strategy or a low price strategy, but uh, a lower price usually comes on the expense of quality, so you need to reduce the quality. And on the other hand, if you want to be a high quality supplier, let's say like in the car industry, if you want to be a Daimler with Mercedes, um, you need also not only demand higher prices from your customers, you also need to deliver high quality. And then came Amazon and uh, this this uh, digital revolution. And I think Amazon was the first company, in my memory, that started uh, working in a way that they could provide high quality at low prices. So they remodeled the whole value chains. Also Apple did something like that, for example, in the music industry um with itunes uh the app store and with the iphone that for example uh the quality of the uh the music delivered is the same but at a much lower prices so 90s it was you buy a cd yeah. and so you have to buy 13 songs uh even if you wanted just one so it was small changes and i think also with the uh Blockchain technology and uh, the impact on that it can have uh, on logistics. There are new possibilities opening up. And, uh, one company that came to my awareness during the pandemic, where I have to say initially, um, that it didn't impress me very much was HelloFresh. So I got aware of this company, uh, since also it was like, uh, beyond meat, uh, right after the IPO, the price just skyrocketed. And uh, I always thought, okay, it's due to the pandemic, people are at home. So uh, they buy their groceries online and try out HelloFresh, the HelloFresh case. to me, last year was pretty simple. Uh, you order certain recipes, you get the ingredients delivered to your house, and you have to cook. And I, I didn't see the game to do because I was, okay, I, mean, I learned in my youth uh, how to do grocery shopping. Uh, I have uh, enough uh, books at home with recipes And I can do that myself. And uh, grocery stores never were shut down here in Austria. So it didn't have uh, an impact. But uh, since we started discussing, uh, I also did a little bit more research on HelloFresh. And uh, they have an amazing uh, mission statement. So they want to deliver high-quality food at low prices. And this is something that is really awesome. So I I wonder, what's your opinion? Is it really possible? Uh, Because I always learned in my life, when you want to have high quality food, you have to invest a lot of budget. And uh, when you want to save on food, you need to reduce your expectation towards quality. And then there is HelloFresh. It says, okay, no, we don't believe that. We believe it's possible. What's your opinion on that? (laughs)
1: Okay. Uh first, so what I, what I was talking uh, about before when it comes to distribution of food, I was more looking at uh, at, at the countries at the moment who are suffering from hunger, so mm. very different approach uh, of what we're talking about now. So distribution no,
0: no, I, I I'm, okay. expa- I'm just expanding on that and say, I mean but yeah. they, <laughs> okay. uh, they, they, they can solve it in, in Europe and in the United States, why not expand that? I mean it's just maybe it's just a logistics problem
1: yeah 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 very difficult logistic problem uh, to solve i think to distribute uh, food to um yeah as, as poor third countries um but coming back to your question on like the, the hello fresh uh, concept I also i really like the company i think they brought a huge uh, value and benefit uh, to the people because um so many people don't cook they kind of like don't know how to cook mm. um so i always say i'm a very lucky person because my mom was not the best cook so my my siblings and i were always kind of like joking we had to learn how to cook to to survive she doesn't like that very much but it's kind of like so i love to cook and just like you i know how to to cook good good food but many people uh, don't and you don't have to because like it's so convenient to just go to uh to fast food chain to a mcdonald's or whatever and you can get uh, but yeah, already prepared food everywhere. And I really love the HelloFresh concept also from a mm. health side. So prepare fresh food. Um, that's amazing. And for, for the question, uh, quality and cheap prices, I think that's a question, how do you find quality? So even with like, um, the industrial industrialized agriculture, um, you can produce a very high quality, very food secure, um, product. So, but it's a question what, how do you see quality? So for me, uh, a certain quality, um, or quality is kind of like local products, local products. I know, or products, I know where they are produced kind of like, um, when the products are produced in like, I don't know, it's some kind of like coca beans in in Africa. For me, quality means that the people who work on the farms are, are are treated in a a good way, uh, get enough payment. The the production is sustainable. Um, uh, That's, that's the whole, like the palm oil uh, discussion that is going on there. Some producers work like very, very sustainable, other not. For me, that's a question of quality. Also, I really like um, organic products and the organic market uh, during Corona just got an immense increase in Germany, 15% bigger than the year before. Um, so so for me, quality, I think I, I define quality in a certain way. And I think the way I define quality, it just comes with spending more money on food. But if you just look at on the, on the product itself and not the whole surrounding and the whole social and um yeah yeah social uh, impact and effects um sure you can you can have a good quality food with enough vitamins and everything uh, for a cheap price, but that comes with another price, so with a price that maybe we don't treat the soil very well, we don't treat the people around very well, so it's very much a question of definition, I would say,
0: so no, that's definitely true uh food is nothing uh, to save on. So if money invested in food is always uh, paying off later in life. It's, uh, it's a little bit of a delayed gratification.
1: Yeah but, uh, yeah, but it's kind of like, it's a big dilemma. So we want we want to, to provide the people yeah, affordable food. But on the other hand, we, we want to also treat the environment in a certain way. And it's, it's kind of like, I think it's always a, a dilemma. And, yeah. It's about more than just wealth. It's about crafting life experiences, seizing opportunities, and building a legacy. Subscribe now to the Make More with Matt Heslin podcast and join us every week for new expert insights and inspiration.
0: I mean I, I think I mean I understand the the evolution of the food industry so the story how I justified for myself into my uh moral and ethical uh thinking uh is that uh, after world war II, basically there was scarcity also in Europe so it's not a long time ago that uh food was scarce and there was not enough food to feed the entire continent and um, a lot of inventions in the food industries of the 40s, 50s, and 60s, in my opinion, evolved out of the scarcity. So the, I think what no politician wants to have is uh, people who don't have anything to eat. It's always a uh, breeding ground for riots and, uh, um, I would say, hostile changes in the society. Yeah. So solving that first uh, was, uh, as a result, it produced industrialization of uh, the food value chain. But now in 2021, we are on the opposite. So we have enough food. And uh, so we can just scale it up or take it to the next level. And uh, think more about, is it really healthy what we are eating? And what are the long-term effects?
1: Yeah, and actually, um, so I'm I'm very happy about that. All the consumer trends we're seeing, they're going into that direction. So the people are looking for fresh food, for local food, for organic products. So it's kind of like there is there's a change in the consumer. Like we see some kind of a new super consumer who is looking for all, uh, all this positive. Um, uh, b- The benefits from food not not only looking into the health benefits but also making sure that um, the food we consume have a lower um, environmental impact but I think it's still a very long way um, a long way to go and uh, to come back to the meat again (laughs) Um, I, I definitely think that the meat consumption we see at the moment it doesn't even make sense from the nutrition side so we just have way too much and it's also nice to see that the vegan community is growing that the vegetarian community is growing and that the people reduce their meat intake and uh, to to give you more on my personal background so I do eat meat but I try to limit it to two days um, per week try to have like very sustainable meat or for me sustainable meat like uh, I actually try to only have game meat because for me that's the most sustainable way to 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 yeah, to to get meat, you you want to consume. And but I love that the consumers, and that's a global thing, are um, a change think, thing. Yeah,
0: I think I think heavy change is something that needs to be decided on on a personal level. And I like the approach of the food industry and also your company that you tackle it from a different direction to say, okay, I mean, we have up to a certain point, we have to accept that people want to eat meat daily uh so what can we do on top of uh changing the habits because some people might not want to change uh the habits and just say okay why should i do that i mean i had uh, my burger every day so yeah. you come from a different Even direction say,
1: okay.
0: <laughs> <laughs> in my opinion it's a good reason to to reduce the intake and uh to rely more on vegetables or uh, vegetables and fruits um it, it, i think it was the the way that uh, the human race evolved so as far as i researched it uh but there are also other other possibilities that i found and i found quite interesting what was this term let me just uh alternative proteins is one uh the more example protein from insect it's not only uh vegetables so that also yeah. some some scientists think about uh modeling burgers from insects is that possible
1: yeah sure it is possible and there are also um there are some companies on the market so one of them. More kind of like famous ones in Germany is Buck Foundation. Mm -hmm. They produce burgers, um, yeah, with insects, with proteins that we we got from insects. And um, the whole insect topic just had a huge media coverage, uh, at least in Europe, because um, insects finally got the Nobel Food um, approval uh, beginning of this year. They kind of like certain insects we always were allowed to have as as food. So there was no regulatory act that, that banned that. But now we have like, uh, the, yeah, that's difficult. Now it's lawyer, lawyer stuff. I, I I tend to not try, I try not to talk about it. I love it, but it's super boring. So it was kind of like some transition regulatory framework. But now we have the, uh, not novel food approval. So kind of like a statement that it's all safe from the nutrition, from the health um, aspect. Um, but what I saw, so the, the big industry player like um, Nestle, like Cargill and all of these big industry holdings in the food uh, industry, at least in Europe and uh, in North America, they decided, um, or what I heard, not to look into that field too much because society here is just not really ready to uh, go into or to eat insects. I think that still we are not very much used to it. We kind of like. Yeah, we don't feel so comfortable. So I tried the Buck Foundation burgers, and I really like them. And insects definitely could be a good way to, um, yeah, to have a good protein source with less environmental impact. But it's it's always a question of if the consumer really wants to consume the product. And uh, like the insects, it's a bigger trend in the animal nutrition field. So when it comes to feed. Um, livestock which is which is also good because uh the land use um got reduced by that um but the industry is kind of like seeing some struggles there as well so kind of like is this protein source good source to really have like the the meat we want and yeah I, i think we need some some more years to um
0: I think at the end of the day, water. the consumer will decide if uh, there are, yeah. is a market or whether there is a market or whether there is no market. Maybe. But it's definitely an interesting approach. Yeah. Uh, and you, you, from, from what you said, I understand that you consider this to be more uh, sustainable than uh, the traditional value uh, chain that we have right now with a lot of uh, uh, cattle raised.
1: Yeah, like the environmental impact is, is just lower so less less uh, feeding stuff like l- less green uh fodder that you need uh, less border so it's kind of like uh less carbon emissions so it's more sustainable might not be the right thing because like for me also like and certain kinds of animal productions can be sustainable but like a very very reduced form with like very little animal um on a farm hopefully living or being able to not only live in in a like certain in a building, but also be able to grass on on, a, on yeah on grassland on a field whatever. Um, so sustainable is always a different again question of definition. So what is sustainable? But uh, what a technology is that we see emerging for like um, at least the last ten years, and I'm really fond of that because it's like an amazing innovation. Is the whole cell based lab grown. um oh, yeah. so, so I do believe more into that than I do in like the whole insect protein. So
0: that's an interesting topic that you bring up. Uh, I remember, I think the first time was 2015 or 14, the first time I heard uh, this idea that it's possible to grow meat in a lab uh, was at uh, a conference. And uh, an investor said, uh, Look, I mean, uh, he's investing also in the food industry. And I said, I mean, after asking him, after asked him, uh, what are inventions uh, that are worthwhile looking into currently? And he said, uh, "Food that grows in labs." Look at him. I said, yeah. Really? You really think it's possible? Good luck with that. I can't. I won't <laughs> believe that. And in the last year, this part has evolved. Can you tell us a little bit more? About yeah, this oh, I, can't, about.
1: I, can't, I love that topic so I can mm. tell you about that for hours I have um,
0: time I have time
1: <laughs> <laughs> no but it's a really cool technology and it, it kind of like came up in the late 90s of the last uh, century basically um, uh, a guy from the Netherlands discovered the whole uh, process how to grow meat in a lab out of stem cells from certain mm. animals um, and over the last years there were some big company or bigger startups who uh, look deeper into the technology so there's Mossa meat from the Netherlands with mark post uh, also university professor there's eat just with patrick and they're all both pioneers in the field of um, lab-grown uh, meat and it's um and it's, it's kind of like super crazy because like the first burger that was, was produced uh, around 2000 uh, the estimate costs uh, for all the r&d were around two million dollars and um, I'm not sure. I think there true. are 10
0: people. I think uh, with that price point, there are probably 10 people on the planet So uh, who can yeah, who early. can buy, who can uh, use this as a substitute for the meat. I think the Elon Musk's of the world. But uh, I think it's economy of scale also in that area.
1: Yes, definitely. And like some months ago, Mo- Mosa Meat, um, they claimed that They reached like a price of $13 per burger. Uh, Eat Just, they just uh, entered the market in Singapore. So they just like uh, launched the first uh, cell-based chicken that was, uh, yeah, with a regulatory approval in Singapore that was sold in one one restaurant over there. And uh, like two weeks ago, and I was very impressed by that, um a scientist from Japan just uh, came out with the huge headline that they were able to kind of like really rebuild um a piece of meat a steak because um you have to imagine so this whole um cell based uh, or laboratory grown meat it's kind of like pretty complicated so you have like um a media where you can grow um grow your cells But then you have kind of like, um, so if you just grow muscle cells, which is like super complicated to to find a good cell culture that is growing, you have like a certain lifespan of the, or a certain amount of times um, the cells can replicate if you don't use uh, GMO. And then you have kind of like a bunch of of cells that are not, don't have like the muscle uh, consistency we know. So they are more like a, uh, yeah, like a puffy, that like puffy uh, uh, consistency. And then you have, like, these, these cells, you, like, no one since, uh, since these uh, scientists from the Japan, no one was able so far to really grow grow a vascular system. So, like, the cells can just gain a certain amount of height. Then there's a problem, like, uh, muscle cells, you, you have to grow fat cells. And mostly when the scientists come up with, with this technology, they, they just started, they're able to grow maybe, like, a one centimeter uh, a steak or one centimeter uh, muscle cells and some fat cells and everything. But for the last uh, years, just the technology got, got uh, so much better. And um, I really hope that we're going to reach a certain scalability soon. Because for me, that's uh, still one of the problems we're facing, that um, the production at scale is still very difficult and still a challenge. Um, but I'm quite sure we will solve that within the next years. And then we're going to to also have a good alternative for the conventional meat production. You can still have your steak. You can still have your lean protein source. Um, please still don't have it in an excessive amount, but you can have it. It is It has very, very low environmental impact. So there, again, estimates. Um, it's very difficult uh, to, to be sure that these estimates are right because we, we haven't reached this scalability at the moment to, to really kind of like, uh, make sure that the numbers are right, but there are numbers out that you can say around like 90% uh, less environmental impact when it comes to carbon emission, water, Nine, 90, percent 90, 90, 90, Yeah. So it's kind of like, it has a very kind of like little environmental impact. You can still have the meat. Um, yeah. So there, there's, yeah, there's crazy stuff going on. Also like there's more, uh, laboratory or more going on in the laboratory um like uh, just one company from uh, from Berlin announced a big founding round uh, it's called Formo and they produce like kind of like a cheese alternative and they grow the certain amino acids and enzymes they need in yeast so it's it's also a pretty cool uh technology and yeah just nutrients are, are grown in a lab and we can Use them. We don't need uh, the dairy industry anymore. Also, um, at some point, we may have um, the possibility or, or the knowledge to also make the products better. So kind of when we come back to the health aspect, um, there are some scientific studies that kind of like line out negative health benefits when it comes to dairy products. So uh, inflammatory processes are kind of like fired on the body Um, then there are some certain studies that link um kind of like diabetes uh, in children to the consumption of uh, milk products and yeah there's so much research going on um and maybe at some point we can also or yeah even be be able to produce dairy and meat in a laboratory and make it even better than the original product make it healthier uh yeah kind of like supplemented with those substances, providing longevity, a better life, but that's kind of like more the future and very much looking forward to no, everything know, that is happening in the that field. Stay with us. We'll be right back.
0: The coaching conversation 2024. This podcast is 100% dedicated to leadership
1: and leadership within the workplace coaching area.
0: It's definitely, I think it's definitely possible. I mean, when I look back 10, 15 years ago, electric vehicles, self-driving cars was part of science fiction. Then came Elon Musk and uh, started building Tesla. And uh, there's a huge debate ongoing if it's really that, if Tesla's really that good, how Elon Musk's uh, makes us believe it is. But it doesn't matter because it created a whole new environment, a whole new space and motivated and inspired a lot of scientists and people uh, globally to work in that field and find solutions for that. So when we find some people also, I think, in the food industry who inspire like Elon Musk did, uh, everything is possible. So I don't yeah. so don't see any limitations.
1: Yeah. And for me, always uh, what Elon Musk did with Tesla that's kind of like a leading example also for the um, for the alternative protein sector. So um, I'm be, oh, I'm based in Germany and the German they are very very much into cars, into fast cars. you kind of have like a car fetish. So uh, and and now Tesla got so cool electronic cars. Some years ago people were like, oh my god, that's not really cool. But now they kind of like changed the product. got pretty cool. It's, it's so fancy to have a te- Tesla. And I think or I hope this got this is going to happen with the alternative proteins and with the meat analogs as well. That people kind of like move away from from t- traditional meat, have it like have it sometimes, for, for maybe for pleasure or whatever, in a very high quality. So, like, kind of like you can you can drive your uh, conventional Porsche if you want, but like your aim should be to have the Tesla kind of thing. So that's the same with with, with the meat. So
0: I think I think the. What what Elon Musk showed with Tesla, and I think also Amazon with with, <coughs> with Jeff Bezos or Steve Jobs with Apple is uh, the power of storytelling. Yeah. So they have to have a way to inspire people around new topics and uh, direct uh, I would say the herd into a new direction. And yeah, I also see it possible in the uh, in the food industry. Don't see yeah. see why it should not uh, hap- should not happen. And I think it's all, it's, it's going on already.
1: Yeah, and I totally agree. And and the good thing is like when we see this uh, innovation evolving and these new and inspiring stories, um, at some point we see the conventional industry and like the dinosaurs uh, in the industry, they kind of follow. And that's the point where we reach like a price parity and when everyone can be part of these new trends and when we really can have a positive uh, long-term impact. Because I think that's very important point like the prices have the products affordable make them yeah at least as affordable as the conventional products whether we're talking about electric cars or yeah meat alternatives meat analogues cell-based meat so price parity is very very important to really be established
0: that's true. you mentioned dinosaurs i mean i think uh, big corporations are not innovative uh, uh by definition it's not their job so it's uh, it's usually they adopt what already works, but uh, at scale. So I think the what the industry, what the traditional industry can do. I uh, think the fintech, for example, in my opinion, is the best best example that I have at the moment. Uh, as I'm interested in this blockchain technology since uh, f- f- 2017 now um there's always this discussion so about replacing uh, industries or uh fighting against industries uh but it's not the way so um startups early stage companies or so like Square, for example in the united states uh also cardano for example uh have the job to be innovative and uh develop the te- technology in a way uh, that it's ready for mass adoption and then the big corporation can step in and can take the technology and really make it work globally. So I think it's a nice combination. It's also what we see with, uh, with the uh, electric vehicles with uh, companies like Tesla. Okay. Tesla paved the way, but now the technology is ready for mass adoption. And now Volkswagen, Daimler, Ford, uh, Chrysler, all the big corporations step in and I think, uh, they will not replace tesla but they will just make the market bigger
1: yes definitely yeah, and that that is a very good point uh, like with all the big industry players so they try to be innovative but they have huge pro- problems with in- internal innovation that is why so many players are looking at the startup market buying shares in startups like um like for example, Merck, a uh, medical company, just invested in, or uh, the first investment in the food industry was in Mosser Meat, which is like right. a cell-based uh, meat meat company. Uh, so the, the conventional players, they look at the startups, um, they try to invest, they try to, try to acquire companies to drive internal innovation. That's that's a very important role of, of the startups. Um, and sometimes we see that um, the startups manage to establish and kind of like... Really grown outside of 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 a conventional industry um, player, and that might be like Beyond Meat, Oatly. So some player managed to really become a name in the market before the big uh, big player um, step in. And, and I really I really love to be part, like with the New Meat Company, of this whole movement. So what kind of innovation can startups bring? How can you make also smaller players more innovative? And it's it's kind of like a uh, very cool space because uh, I always say um, our mission is to to match uh, profit with purpose. So that's that's a pretty cool field to 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 do that.
0: <laughs> definitely, definitely, and uh, it works pretty well. I'm uh, mostly working the farm industry, and you always have this free mindset. So there's one this uh, research, uh, which is not research for profit. It's just research for the sake of purpose uh, to find new ways to do things. Then you have the the pharma industry. So it's a big industry and they are very good in bringing uh, invention to patients um, because they just have the scale. They have the sales force behind it, the sales reps. uh, They have also uh, accumulated enough capital to make things work globally. But in between, between research and the patient and the pharma industry, there's a huge gap. And I think it's basically the same in every industry. You have the big players who are very good in scaling up things uh, in a way that they make it accessible globally. Then you have the researchers who invent things, but there is this middle ground. And this is the toughest one to translate uh, inventions, innovation from research, from labs. I think we were talking about lab-grown meat. So when that works, then you still need the startup scene and the middle ground of people who are into science but also understand how big corporates work so that they can remodel the science in a way that it fits into big industries.
1: Yeah, and that is actually uh, one of our missions we we are following with the platform company. That's the idea where we want to be in some years. So uh, we want to provide uh, kind of like the surrounding and the knowledge and certain companies that can benefit from each other and help. uh, So for example, a cell-based meat company that has amazing scientists. And then they managed to scale up the production, uh, kind of like we see our role in helping them to take their products, like let it be like muscle cells and uh, fat cells, help them to turn turn the product very fast into like a burger or a sausage or whatever, have the distribution channels uh, to to bring it to the market. And um, yeah, we kind of like want to fill uh, that gap. So Startups that have an amazing idea help them to um, to grow, to enter the market, help them or provide them with enough knowledge and enough background to survive in the food industry, and um, kind of like not with the goal to to give them money and uh, make the big exit and earn as much money as we can, but with the goal to have uh, a sustainable uh, company with uh, sufficient revenues that can survive. Uh, where the founders can stay involved uh, in the whole project, become part of the whole platform idea. So that's kind of like um, where we see ourselves. So we want to be somewhere in the middle between the uh, food industry we know and the startups, and um, yeah, really help them to grow and, and build up something together with with the founders, but a very sustainable long term long term vision and bring value to the people health side environment so yeah it's a long way to go but we definitely know where we want to be in some years
0: that's true it sounds like an uh, early stage fund with uh, with extended capabilities
1: yeah kind of <laughs>
0: sounds great it's it's really great uh carolina let me ask you one final question um the the most important trend we were talking about trends uh there is so much ongoing when we look back uh let's say from 2013 when we just jump into the future and uh think uh, assume it's possible and we have a conversation nine years from now um and look back to 2021 in your opinion what is the most important invention that we already have uh on this planet right now, that will shape the future of the food industry in the coming nine years.
1: Okay, the, the most important one. So I think there are several that are going to shape uh, the food mm-hmm. industry a lot. Um, um, so what we what we haven't uh, talked about so far is um, the huge potential uh, behind mushrooms so uh, mucousal fungi and everything of that so that's definitely going to be it already is a big thing uh, very um a good protein source can be produced very Absolutely. environmentally friendly very or linked to many health benefits uh, i think that's going to um that's going to be a big trend within the next year then the whole um cell-based um market so that we produce just produce the food in the lab I think that's going to take off maybe not in the next five years maybe not in the next 10 years but in the next 15 years that would definitely so we will kind of substitute loads of conventional meat with uh, cell-based products uh, in the future soon I assume uh, and then it, it big trend i'm very very fond of is the whole question how you can use food as medicine so i think that's Mm -hmm. going to uh, and and i'm yeah i see many people who focus more who who rethink what they eat to get enough uh, antioxidants to get uh, the right amount of protein Uh, the whole personalization of nutrition it's a big thing and so much r&d is going on there so i I kind of like, like see several trends um that, that are developing, and we are definitely in just in the beginning of a, of a big changing process. So I think the way we will eat in ten years will definitely be different what, from what we see at the moment.
0: Yeah, but I wonder. I mean, if, uh, I'm a huge fan of Star Trek, <laughs> and <laughs> that's great. And I always remember. I mean, there's that there's certain inventions. So, for example. Uh, they use this communication device, uh, in the, in the series of the sixties, but it just opened it and could uh, communicate over distances. And it's basically what we have now as cell phones or mobile phones. Um, it's there, then beaming. I think, uh, we are probably a bit away from, from beaming. Yeah. Um, then there is this, uh, holodeck, which is now, I think, coming to life in the term of multiverse. Metaverse, metaverse, nobody was metaverse. Uh, Facebook, for example, starting research in uh, enhancing the internet and building the next level of the internet, which should also include virtual reality, artificial, uh, uh, augmented reality. And then there was one thing uh, this replicator. So it was this device where people could select what they want to drink. It's like a computer yeah. and you could type in and then, uh, the replicator produced out of energy, the food or the drink they wanted. So it was perfectly ready for serving. And what you said now with lab grown meat and, uh, longevity research uh, and does this distribution of food. Uh, I just wonder, uh, if this, uh, let's say 3D printing food or, so, or the designing food from energy and make it look like real food and taste like real food. If th- Do you think it's really possible to, to take such a huge leap?
1: So the 3D printing, it, it's maybe a little similar to what we see in the, the cell-based space at the mm. moment. So 3D printing, there's impossible stuff. Possible. So it's <laughs> uh, like when, when you look at, uh, there's some... Uh, there's like seafood printed by some companies uh, which they can like just mimic uh, the structure or chicken breasts or uh, so plant-based chicken breast, plant-based seafood. Um, It's just incredible when when we look at the technology and what is already possible to mimic the structure because taste is not only that that from the nutrition side, you have like enough protein and like some, some kind of like taste is also the structure and the the feeling in your mouth uh, to, to really, um, have a product that you think is yeah tastes good um and also when we look at uh we we were discussing like the world hunger crisis earlier so there's some some companies who try to solve the world hunger crisis with like 3d printing and bring like 3d printers uh, to certain countries and helping them to print the product with the right vitamins and and nutrients um yeah where it's needed so there's some crazy stuff going on but i think at the moment we i see there is a potential but right now kind of like for the the amount of products we need And so the market um, for alternative proteins and for meat analogs, it's it's growing rapidly. So uh, the CGAR we see from up to like 30%. We have like a a market estimate of uh, 400 billion in 2030 globally. So we we just uh, face face the need to scale up. And 3D printing at the moment is, is kind of like, it's a very cool technology, but I don't know if anyone or I don't know any player that's really able at the moment to, to yeah bring a very scalable uh, product uh, to the market and the costs are still very high, but yeah, I see th- definitely potential in that field, but it's it's still, yeah, it's, it's, it's still a long way to go. But
0: Yeah. I think Elon Musk can use yeah. it for his trip to Mars. So he needs a uh, 3d printers on a starship, uh, on the way to build his first colony on mars so it's uh, something i think he he wants to achieve in his lifetime and uh it's a f- it's a few years but maybe who knows in 20 years 30 yeah. years
1: and and also think of like just like you have kind of like this 3d printer in your kitchen at, at some point maybe in, yeah maybe in 30 years and then you can like just print your cell-based steak in whatever how you like it, like with more fat, with no fat, and mm. you have like your scaffold structure, and you can just print it in your kitchen in I don't know thirty minutes or something. That would be that would be super cool. But yeah, that's more okay. Star Trek future. But we have cell phones, we have yeah. self-driving cars, basically.
0: Artificial intelligence. We have Alexa already here, so. <laughs> <laughs> and just just a small step forward to also have uh something in the kitchen where I probably can say in the future Siri or Alexa and uh, prepare mistake in 30 minutes it's uh, later it's it's ready to eat
1: yeah and i i strongly believe in technology and and, and technologies we see exponential growth in technology and artificial intelligence quantum con- computing there's so much cool stuff going on and i think we will definitely be able to to solve uh, many of the challenges we're facing at the moment with, with technology and innovation.
0: I absolutely believe that. I think the, what the last 50 years in the Western world proved, especially in Europe and China, and uh, also in West, yeah, China, I know it's in the East, but uh, let's consider it also part part of uh, the first world, Western world. <laughs> uh, also in the United States, people can achieve a lot when they collaborate and work together. And yeah. I believe uh, this, since World War II, this. Uh, we just think uh, 55 uh, plus 21, 70-something years uh, uh, of uh, peace, of no no big war uh, is the reason why we have a lot of uh, inventions right now. And we just have to make sure that the world stays peaceful and the human race continues collaborating. And I believe everything is possible.
1: And that our planet stays intact in the environment. And that's also because when we, um, we haven't talked about that yet, but when we look at all the things that are going on in the longevity field and all the trends in longevity, so I assume many of the people who are listening right now have read um lifespan from David Sinclair, a uh, professor of medical uh, Harvard Medical School. And it's crazy what is going on in that field at the moment, like with repairing damaged DNA with certain supplements. and so David Sinclair claims that people soon will be able to to turn one hundred and fifty years old. 150, 15150, uh, yeah. Wow. So Yeah, and, and so maybe we're going to uh, to see uh, much of the technology de- development we're forecasting at the moment. But um, key is that we manage to keep our our planet intact. That's that's why we have to act now and provide alternatives and solutions, um, like we try to do in the in the whole uh, protein alternative meat analog field.
0: Yeah, let's do so. Uh, Caroline, thank you very much for this great discussion. We covered a lot of grounds today and uh, I think there are enough topics for future conversations. So I would be happy to invite you again in a couple of weeks, months or years and uh, follow up on these topics. Um, I wish you all the best with your company and uh, may your dreams come true.
1: Thank you so much. (laughs) Thanks for having me here. It was a great talk. And I'm looking forward to latest catch-up in around like 10 years and see if our predictions all, or were at least went in the right direction. But I strongly believe it.
0: <laughs> Let's do but so. Let's do so. Thank you Kamilina. so much. Have, Have a great sure. day.
1: Have a great Bye. day. Bye-bye.
0: Thanks for listening. Please, please share the podcast and make sure you've subscribed. Have a great day. <laughs>